So this morning, as I said, we are starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. We will be going through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Acts was written by, anybody? Luke. By Luke, yes. By Luke. And it's the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. And Acts is all about how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church to spread the gospel. How the Holy Spirit took 120 so people uh, up in a room to millions worldwide over the centuries who have called upon the name of the Lord. And the reason we're going to work and unpack how the Holy Spirit did that is the same Holy Spirit that was available to them in that day is available to us now. The same one, the same Holy Spirit that worked through Peter and worked through Paul will work through us if our faith and trust is in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, sometimes we tend to idolize the Old Testament church. Oh, I want us to be like what the church first was. The truth is they had problems just like we did. They had fallen, messed up people just like we did. In fact, we'll cover some of those messed up and fallen people. And they also had the Holy Spirit just like we did. So we don't need to get back to the New Testament church. What we need to do is get back to an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in our life and what he is calling us to do. And it is my prayer through this message today that your eyes will be opened to how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, this morning as we get ready to jump into Acts chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, that I've never done before. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this morning. And the reason I'm going to ask you to stand this morning is what we are about to read is a reminder of what we've been called to do in our lives, to complete another purpose for our lives. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I had dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not, no, not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So Luke starts out this letter to someone named Theophilus. We don't know who it is. Could have been a high-ranking official, but we're not sure. Could have been someone, and it looks like it was someone he wrote before because he said in the first book, which would be referring to his letter, the Gospel of Luke. He says, I told you about Jesus' life. Now I'm going to tell you about what happened afterwards. 
And he recaps a little bit. And in this recap, he covers a question that the disciples ask Jesus, which I thought was very interesting. They ask him, Lord, when will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, why do they ask this? Well, they ask it because the disciples were Jewish. They're from the nation of Israel. And at that time, Israel was under Roman occupation, under Roman control. Israel did not like that. And in the Old Testament, there were these prophets who prophesied that one day there would be a coming king and this king would set up an everlasting kingdom for Israel. And so these Jewish men were expecting and wanting a military and political leader who would restore their nation to what it once was. So they're like, Jesus, when are you going to clear out the Romans? When are you going to fix things? And when I read this, I'm like, like, how are these guys still missing it? I mean, if someone like resurrects himself from the dead, I've got to guess that there's a bigger purpose than just politics, right? It's a pretty big thing to do. I was like, how are they missing it? And then I thought to myself, man, do we not do the same thing when we talk to God? God, when are you going to fix things? I remember all through the last election, we're like, God, we need you to move. We need you to get back to the way things were. It's not necessarily a bad prayer to pray on its own. But we're constantly thinking, God, when are you going to fix things? Lord, when are you going to move in my life? When am I going to get married and have kids? Is it going to happen before you come again? Every Christian college kid's worst fear. You know, when am I going to get a better job and better pay? When are you going to heal my physical sickness? When are you going to restore my kingdom? We're often so focused in our lives what we want God to do. How does Jesus reply to this? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that your father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus says, when it comes to the will of God, you are on a need to know basis and you do not need to know. God is sovereign. He has made a promise and it will come to pass. Disciples, this is not where your focus should be. And then Jesus shows them where their focus should be. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He said, here's your focus. This is what I want you to look at. This is what I want you to understand. It is now going to be your responsibility to go throughout the ends of the earth and to tell people who I am. And we need to pause. We need to pause on this command because we read commands like this in Matthew 20 and 19, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded to you. We read this so often we can recite it without really thinking about it. But listen, of all the things that Jesus could have said when he was leaving them, this is what he chose to say. Look, if you're gonna leave somebody and you know that they are not gonna see you again, or you're not gonna see them again, you are gonna pay attention to the words that you say to them. You're gonna give it some thought. You're gonna give it some weight. You are gonna make sure they're important. And of all the words that he chose to say, this was his final words. This was his command. And because it was his last command, it was to be their very first concern in life. 
Now, why this matters for us is this command did not just stop with those disciples. It is a command that has fallen on every man, woman, and child has put in faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Second Peter, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if Jesus says, is who he says he is, then this makes sense why this should be a priority. If sin separates us from God, from our Father in heaven, the only way that we can know him, the only way that we can find love and hope and purpose in this life is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if there's literally only a limited time that we have to spread this message, then what else could be worth our focus, our priority, our time? It is true for them as it is for us. His last command is to be our first concern. So let me ask you, is the last command of Christ your first concern in your life? All the decisions that you make, the things that you think about, that you talk about, how you spend your time, your money, your energy, is the command of Christ, the spreading the gospel, is everything filtered through that? because everything should fall second to this priority. The problem is most of us give everything else priority and this second. Is his last command your first concern? If your faith and trust is in Jesus, you have to realize you you have with you the cure the cure for depression, for anxiety, for anger, for hopelessness, for bitterness, for jealousy, for literally everything that is wrong in this world, you have the cure. It is a true statement that God does not save us so that we can go to church until we die and go to heaven. Let me repeat it again. God does not save us so we can just go to church every Sunday until we die and go to heaven. We have been given a command to spread the gospel. His last command should be our first concern. Is it true in your life? Now, I wonder how the disciples must have felt when they heard this command of Jesus. As I put myself in their shoes, I was thinking all throughout his life, he did all the teaching, he was doing all the healing, all the miracles. I mean, they didn't even fully understand what he was teaching most of the time. I'm like, hey, can you explain this to us? Because we don't get it. And they often misinterpreted what he was saying. Like, how is this going to even be possible? And I'm going to guess if you sit here as a Christian, you felt that way sometime. Like, how is God going to possibly use me? You ever felt that way? And in response, Jesus says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. Jesus says, I'm gonna send you everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. I'm gonna send you everything. You are gonna be baptized, which means to be immersed in, or as Luke says in, in the gospel, Luke, to be clothed in the Holy Spirit. He goes, I will give you everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. And if this is true, then it should change everything about how we see our call to spread the gospel. 
For example, if I stand here and I decide that I want to walk across the room, I don't stand here and go, oh, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can get across the wall, or the, across the stage. I don't know. I just don't know if I have the strength. I, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't ask these questions, which seem silly to us. Why? Because I know that God has given me the power and the strength to move my legs across the stage. And in the same way, what he's saying here is I have given you the spirit of God to accomplish everything I call you to. I've given it to you. And, I, and, when I, and I want you to hear me because I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm not talking about the person behind you or in front of you. I'm not talking about the preacher or the worship leader. He's given it to every single person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, who has called upon the name of the Lord. The spirit is given, period. There are no exceptions. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no amount of sin you can do to lose it. He is there. The difference is that whether you recognize it and believe it or not. In the same way, if I stood here and I didn't believe that God gave me the power to go across the stage, does that mean I don't have it? No, it just means I don't experience walking in it. In the same way, we don't experience walking in the Holy Spirit because we don't believe it. The power to witness for God has been provided, period. Period. Zechariah 4, 6, he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is why when Jesus is talking to Peter, he said, I will build my church. He didn't say to Peter, you and the other disciples will build the church. He said, I will build the church. My power, my spirit, my strength. You're just the vessel we're gonna be working through, you and the disciples. And in the same way in your life, he's, I am going to build the church through you. I will do it. Are you with me, church? For those of you who don't know it, Christianity teaches that God is three distinct beings that are at the same time one, God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not a ghost. He's not like the force in Star Wars. He is a divine person, a divine spirit. He has emotions. He has a will. He has a mind. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he comes into our lives and connects us into, with God in a way that could not be done otherwise. This is why Jesus said to the disciples in John, he says, look, it is better that I go away. What, Jesus? He says, yeah, it's better that I go away. Why? Because as long as Jesus was on the earth, you could be with Jesus. You leave the room, you go somewhere else, you're not with Jesus. With the Holy Spirit, no matter where you go, inside or outside, you are with the Lord. God is with you and in you and a part of you. He is always there. Some of you, you make the mistake of feeling God or coming like when you, I wanna come, I wanna be with God, so I go to church. No, no, God is with you everywhere. Whether you recognize it or not, he is there if you've put your faith in Christ. But no, no, he's everywhere anyway, even if you haven't. The difference is how he's working. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, he's the one who's making you aware of your need for Christ. If you've put your faith in Christ, then he's the one working through you to make you to become more like Christ. All you need is the Holy Spirit, period. It doesn't mention wealth. It doesn't mention physical strength. It doesn't mention good works, uh, talents, or good looks. It doesn't mention age. None of it. It just mentions you, through the Holy Spirit working in this world. Immersed, dipped, 
and clothed in. It is something you've done to you. It's just a matter of where you will recognize it or not. Now, some of you sitting here, you don't feel that power. You don't feel the power. This is a foreign idea to you. I'm like, I don't experience the Holy Spirit. It's a great friend of mine. And this past week, he got to go to this high-end racetrack, think up in New York. It's like, it's like one of those places that rich people go that have way too much money. You know, us common folk, we play with matchbox cars or get on a video game system. They go and actually get to drive these highly expensive, powerful cars on this racetrack and they get to race them around. I mean, I think for him to go up there, it costs like four grand just for the day. Crazy, but he got to have the time of his life, drive some of the fastest, most powerful cars. But you know what gave him the ability to experience that power? Is he was willing to get in the car. He was willing for the driver of that car to take him wherever the driver wanted to go. That was the only way that he experienced it. You see, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, far too many of us, we never get in the car. We go through life getting in our own cars, cars that we're comfortable with, cars that we can steer on our own, going at a speed that we are comfortable with. So we never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, do you live in such a way that the Holy Spirit has lead to take you where he wants you to go? I mean, if the Holy Spirit says to you, go invite that person to church, will you hear it and go? Or go pray for this person down the, end of the other end of the grocery aisle that you don't know. Or go tell so-and-so about Jesus. Or there's this person, you know, that you, you hurt a couple years ago and, and you, never, you never apologized to them. Go apologize to them. Or if the Holy Spirit says, hey, that ministry, they have a need. Go get involved, even though you're completely unequipped for. Are you willing to go along for the ride? Are you willing to take that step? And sometimes people will say to me, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, fair, fair. Well, if you don't know it's the Holy Spirit, two things come top of my head. Number one, you go talk to other believers. Now, now listen, and I mean mature Christians who are seeking the Lord. Now, people that come to church every four weeks and never open up their Bible. I'm talking about people who make Christ a priority in life. The people you know that are in the word of God and are seeking God's faith, that he is a priority. Talk to them about it. Or open up your Bible. If the Bible says to do something, then you don't need the Holy Spirit to give you a feeling. Far too many of us, we wait for this tingly feeling of God Maybe if God calls me to do it. No, if the Bible says to do it, then do it. The Bible talks about asking for forgiveness. So if you know somebody who you have not asked for forgiveness, even if it's a couple years ago, ask for forgiveness. You do not need a dove to rest on your shoulder to do that. And when we do these things and we take these steps of faith that we're scared to do, I tell you that is when we feel the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we see him be faithful to those steps that we take. Are you willing, along to go, willing to go along for the ride? Are you so busy living the life the way you want to go, filling up your schedule with what you want to do or what you think you need to do? There is no room for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to do anything. 
So we must understand that his last command should be our greatest concern, that he has given us power to be his witnesses. But let me tell you what drives all this, the difference between those who seek the Holy Spirit to lead them and those who don't. It's the sense of urgency. In verse 111, after Jesus went up into the heavens, there's two angels that appeared. And he says, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? The Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why do you stand looking to heaven? Almost like it's a rebuke. Like you've been given your assignment, go. Because he will come again. And this understanding that God is coming again should give us a sense of urgency in our lives. Not a sense of panic, but of purpose and urgency. Because if people are lost without Jesus Christ in this life, if they will be lost without him for eternity, and if we only have a short time to spread this message to those who are lost, either by their death, our death, or him coming again, then it should really focus our lives on what matters most and what should take priority in our lives. Let me tell you, the world needs your witness. If it is true that every single believer has been called to spread the gospel, if it is true that every single believer has the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one that flowed through Paul and Peter and all the mightiest people of the Bible, the world needs your witness. Where are my teenagers? Where are you at? All right, well, I like that, raising hands. I like that, Nate, way to go over the extra mile. Listen, teens, we live in a broken world. Your friends are coming up in one of the most dysfunctional generations to date. There are more broken homes and broken families than ever with children who are not understanding what it means to be loved. Your friends need your witness. You have an incredible opportunity at your age to either go along with the flow of what they're chasing because they don't have God in their lives, or you have the opportunity to be one of the people that shows them the love and purpose and hope that can be found in Jesus. Don't waste it. Do not waste it. The same Holy Spirit that is alive in every great person you know in your life and in the Bible is alive in you waiting to change another person's life forever. Don't wait. Don't waste it. You with me, teens? You have an incredible call upon your lives. As the rest of all of you, your families need your witnesses. Some of you, your spouse needs your witnesses. People in your work need your witness. Your neighbors need your witness. There are probably people in this church that need your witness. And let me tell you, when I talk about witness, because this was a big one for me when I was a teen, is it means you have to use words. Words. There's this old quote that I hate this quote. It's, it's, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know if he really said it, but it's a bunch of garbage. Preach the, word, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. 
I don't know if this is out of context, but if it's not, this is the biggest bunch of trash. If we leave Echo Lake today and we go into our churches and our workplaces and we put a smile on our face and we do nice things for people, what is going to be the result? Are they gonna bow their heads to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are they gonna enter a saving relationship with Jesus because we brought them cookies? Are they gonna follow him into baptism and get involved in church and growing because we've been nice? At some point, it has to become verbal. They have to understand why we are living the way that we are living. And once again, this is where doubt comes in because some of us were like, I don't know enough. I can't answer all the questions. I can't even talk to people. Once again, this is where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, speaking to the disciples, and he's talking about when I'm leaving, but he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. Once again, this is not a promise of just to the disciples. And later in Acts, we'll talk about where he'll say, Luke will write, then he says, look, don't be worried about what you say to the authorities. God will give you the words. Moses in the Old Testament, God said to him, who made man's mouth? When Moses was afraid to talk to Pharaoh, he said, who made man's mouth? I did. I did. So go and I will teach you what to say. And anybody who learns to walk in the promptings of the Holy Spirit will know that God will give you the things to say. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't prepare yourself. Scripture is very, very clear on this. Study to show thyself approved. Timothy, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed because you know, to rightly hand, you know how to rightly handle the word of truth. We need to prepare ourselves, but the Holy Spirit can overcome our deficiencies and give us the right things. And sometimes I'll go talk to people and I will, I will say the most stupidest things I've ever said. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just directed them from God forever. That was horrible. You ever felt that way? Well, God, in his graciousness, there's times where people have come back to me and said, what you said in here, what you said here and here, what I thought was the stupidest thing is what touched them the most. I'm like, I throw my hands up in the air. And actually it's good that it happens that way because it's a reminder that it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And you never know what will happen from your words. You never know what God will do with it. Let me show you a picture. Anybody know who this is? This is D.L. Moody. Most of you probably don't know who D.L. Moody is, but he is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, the 1800s. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham was even around. He preached to audiences of thousands, 5,000, 10,000, 15, 20. He had preached to them. The key thing about D.L. Moody is he did not have a high IQ. He wasn't educated in seminary. In fact, it's recorded that he was semi-illiterate. He used messed up bad language like I did, like tookin' and ain't, okay? And all the other words that drive you English majors crazy. How did he become such an effective preacher? Drawing huge crowds? The Holy Spirit. In fact, one time he was supposed to preach in England and somebody didn't want him to preach, it said, we don't need to wait for D.L. Moody to get here. 
or, you know, because they heard he was illiterate and I think he was late. And, and he said, look, D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And it's recorded where the preacher said, no, we are going to wait. And this, he said, this is why. He said, because the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. Oh, if there were to be one thing to be said about each of us, would it be to have said that the, monopoly, that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on our lives to live in such a way that his power flows through us because we are directed by him. And I know some of you, you're like, I will never be D.L. Moody. I don't like speaking in front of people. I don't even like people. I don't want to talk more than three people. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. And that's okay. We are all wired differently. Now, now, if we don't choose to step into something like that because of fear, that's wrong because we're not denying the power of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't, the whole God, Holy Spirit doesn't drive all of us to speak in that manner, but he does drive all of us to share the gospel. In fact, there's a name, his name was Mr. Kimball. I don't remember his first name. And he was a Sunday school teacher in a local church. And he, um, he had the Holy Spirit pressing him to go witness to a young kid. He was 19 years old, who was a shoe clerk. And so he said, he goes into the this, this shoe store and the kid's in the back in the stock with shoes. And he goes and he says his hand was trembling out of fear. And he laid his hand on the shoe clerk and he told him about Jesus. And that 19-year-old boy accepted Christ into his heart. Anybody want to guess who that 19-year-old was? D.L. Moody. You never, never, never know what the Holy Spirit will do through a willing witness. You never know. In fact, you may never know this side of heaven. You might get to heaven one day and come up to meet all of these people because it says we'll figure out who each other are. And, and, and they'll say, look, this is what happened after you did this and you did this. And, and you'll never know. And I like it that way because then it's always about the Holy Spirit. I know some of you really well. I know some of you kind of well. I know some of you just a little bit. But what I do know is that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is alive and inside of you and at work. He will not force himself on you, but if you start to listen and believe in his power to move through you, you will do incredible things to spread the gospel in this world, period. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how much you don't know about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. I, I don't care how sinful you are. The Holy Spirit will move through your life If you believe in his power and you look to him to guide you. Today he's calling you. He is calling you to more. Can you hear him?